I'm going to invite, if you have your Bibles with you, or your devices, or whatever you brought along, to open to our scripture from this morning. We're going to be reading and teaching and learning from Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. Just to set the context a little bit about where this falls into the big story of what's been happening, remember that Jesus has been going around now announcing that his kingdom is here. He's been bringing it into reality, not only with his words, but with his actions and with the signs and with the wonders. And then just in the previous chapter, chapter 10, Jesus sends out the 12, so he's in the process of multiplying his kingdom. Read with me from Matthew 11. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come or shall we expect someone else? Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it was written. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has never risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence. And violent people have been raiding it. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. Whoever has ears, let them hear. To what can I compare this generation? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to others. We played the pipe for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking. And they say, he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, he is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her deeds. Here ends the reading of God's word. So let's do a quick review. Most of us are somewhat familiar with John the Baptist. Let's do a quick review about John and his life up to this point. So obviously we read in the early stories where John and Jesus were cousins. They've known each other. Perhaps they grew up. Perhaps they spent a lot of time in their early youth. But then John goes on this crazy rampage. He becomes this crazy man. He goes out into the desert, starts eating bugs, starts wearing clothes that aren't comfortable. He's got a very specific calling. John the Baptist is the one that's been prophesied about, and then we move forward, and John is actually the one who baptizes Jesus. Critical to remember that important thing, because remember what God said through that baptism problem about Jesus. This is the one whom I am well pleased. So John has heard all that. He's seen all that. He's grown up with Jesus. But here sits John. He's called out Herod about his sin, and John's sitting in prison. 
rotting in a prison cell. Side note, if you are in prison in those days, unless you had friends coming to feed you, you more than likely would starve to death. Prison conditions were absolutely horrible. And John hears reports that Jesus, if you look at a chronological type Bible, Jesus literally, right before he sends these messages, is the story where Jesus heals the Roman officer's servant. So John's sitting rotting in a Roman prison and he hears about this Jesus, about Jesus who is healing the enemy. He hears about Jesus having these dinner parties with all the worst of the worst, the Pharisees. He's having dinner parties and I'm sitting here rotting in jail. So John sends Jesus, or Jesus, some of his followers to ask a question. Now I'm gonna just take the human side of this story and say, let's stop for just a second. Wouldn't you think, knowing what John knows, seeing what John has seen, experiencing what John has experienced thus far in his life, wouldn't you think that the questions would have been something like, hey Jesus, what's happening out there? Or, wow, that sounds awesome, all the people coming to know you. Or, how can I pray for you while I'm in here? But what does he ask? John asks, are you the Messiah? Are you sure? Should we be expecting somebody else? Are you the one? John takes what he hears about what Jesus is doing. And he compares that with what he senses, what he thinks the Messiah is going to be about. And they don't add up. When he hears about what Jesus is doing, it doesn't convince him that he's the Messiah. You remember just last week, just last week what we read about what John was saying back in chapter three. Let me read it for us real quickly just as a reminder. John says this, starting in verse 10, it says, the ax is already at the root of the trees and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fires. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand. He will clear out the threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn, burning up the shape with the unquenchable fire. John's intense. What's his message? The Messiah is coming, and it's going to get even more intense. And when you compare that with what John hears Jesus is doing, healing people, blessing people, walking with people, the worst of the worst. John's thinking fire, intensity, God bringing the hammer down. Those two aren't adding up in his brain. So there sits John, rotting in prison, and there's an obvious disconnect. I love, I love what Jesus says in verse four through six. Leave it up to Jesus to answer in an interesting sort of way. Jesus replied, 
He told John's disciples, go back and say this. Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive the sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Those are four different, from four different passages in Isaiah. Prophecies about when the kingdom is coming, when the great day will arrive. Side note, notice also part of the Isaiah is where it would say the prisoner is set free, but Jesus doesn't mention that. I think what Jesus is saying, I think what Jesus is saying to John, I think what Jesus is even saying to us, the kingdom is here. I am the one who's going to bring the kingdom. But John, it just doesn't look like what you thought it might. Look at Jesus' last words in his response in verse 6. He says, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. John told everyone the Messiah was going to bring the fire, bring the hammer. Jesus comes and he brings healing. He brings an open and generous table. He blesses. You got to imagine John sitting there stuck in prison thinking, Jesus, what are you going to do about me? That's all fine and dandy what you're doing. That's all good stuff. But what about me? Where's the fire even? Again, I think Jesus is telling John, and I think it's a word we can hear for us today, it's here. The kingdom is here. But it might just look a little different than what you're expecting. It's as if Jesus is saying this. This is the Brian Vandaloon dumbed-down version. Blessed are those who can see underneath what they thought would happen and actually see what I'm doing. Remember that one. Blessed are those who can see underneath what they thought would happen and actually see what I'm doing because I think that's the challenge for you and me. As we go out, as we attempt to flourish, as we do what we're called to do as disciples and followers of Jesus, can we see beneath the surface? Jesus is not rebuking John. It's important to notice that. There's just been a disconnect. John clearly has this story rolling through his head of how the end of times, when the Messiah comes, what it's supposed to look like, what Jesus is going to do, what the Messiah is going to do, but that story's not happening. So I think John's experience opens up a question for us this morning. Actually, a series of questions. What do you do, what do I do when our expectations of life are not met? What do you do, what do I do when life takes an unexpected turn? When the story that is reality is not matching the one that's been playing in our head? Do we have faith? Do we question? Do we trust? Here's the interesting thing about expectations. Most of the time, most of the time you don't need, that you don't realize that your expectations are not being met until they're not. 
simple, couple simple examples. Most of us had certain level of expectations. You pick your favorite sitcom that was ending and they had the series finale. Didn't meet what you were expecting. Some of you are Star Wars fans and some of those sequels didn't quite meet your expectations of what you thought was supposed to come. You're invited to a party. You're going to go on vacation. You're going to go to resort. You name the situation. You've got something built up in your head and it doesn't happen and you don't know it's not going to happen until you realize that it didn't happen. If that all makes sense. So what does that mean for us? Expectations. How does that apply to us as followers of Jesus? So here's my question to us. What are you, what am I expecting of Jesus? Is it a life filled with no worries, no problems, it's all good, no pain? I can share with you in six weeks on the job as a pastoral care minister, that's not happening in the reality of the world. There are some people that love Jesus dearly and they are walking through some deep, deep pain. Many of you have done the same. And many of you are going to do the same. So if that's not the case, if we don't get a life that is all hunky-dory, playing out perfectly in our mind and that becomes our reality, if that's not the case, if we don't have any guarantees in this life, I'm going to ask a rather interesting question of us. Why should you, why should I even follow Jesus? If he's not going to make it all great, if he's not going to have the movie play out perfectly, why follow him? We're going to take that question, put it on the shelf for a few moments. Think about that, we'll come back. Let's go back to our text. See what Jesus says in verses seven through 11. Let's reread those again here real quickly. And John's disciple, as John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about him. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in the king's palaces. Side note. Basically what that's saying is there are those who would say what they needed to say in order to be accepted by the higher ups. There are those who are just going along with the crowd. They were prophets of sorts, but they were saying the right things to be in the right place. Perhaps some practical application for today as well. What did you go out to see, a prophet? Yes, I tell you, more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare the way before you. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is the least of the kingdom is greater than he. So what's the reality of the story? I think most of us know the reality of the story. John's gonna die. He's literally beheaded in prison. He's not going to see and witness the birth of the things he's been proclaiming and teaching about. And so Jesus' disciples, those that are there when Jesus makes an announcement, those are the ones that are greater than John because they, in fact, do get to see and witness Jesus actually bringing the kingdom into reality, bringing it through his death and his resurrection. 
Verse 12 is an interesting one. Lots of debate. I'm going to break it down really simple, but it says this. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence, and the violent people have been raiding it. Ever since John came on the scene, ever since Jesus came onto the scene, bringing the kingdom, there's been opposition. Violent opposition. Not only from those who ran the temple, but from Rome, from all sorts of people, every direction, from the Bible teachers. Friends, here's my takeaway out of that verse. Much like then, I think it applies today, do not mistake violent opposition for things going wrong. There's a lot going on in the world. Those of us who are following Jesus may feel like there is sometimes, yes, violent opposition, certainly vocal opposition. Here's my encouragement. Do not take that as things are going. Remember, we say it all the time. If you read the end of the book, we win. We win. If you look at verse 13, says this, for all the prophets and the law prophesied about John, and if you're willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Jesus is quoting Malachi 4 there. What Jesus again is saying, he's just hammering it home, make no mistake. The kingdom, the great day, as it's referred to in the Old Testament, the kingdom and the great day is here. But it doesn't look like John was expecting. As you go on in verses 16 through 19, Jesus keeps coming back to that idea of expectation. Again, he's talking about the kids are playing a flute and they're singing a, a sad song and nobody's dancing and nobody's mourning. And what's going on with all that? Here's what Jesus is saying. This generation, his generation has a whole lot of expectations about what John was supposed to look like, what the Messiah was supposed to look like. But John and Jesus aren't dancing to their tune. And then look at his closing line. It says, wisdom is proved right by her deeds. Another way of saying that is wisdom is justified by her deeds. I love it. Leave it to Jesus to end this with a riddle. What is that about? Wisdom and discernment are proved not by how much you know, but it's how things play out in reality. He's saying, if you don't think I'm the one, just stick around and watch. Watch what happens. You'll see. The kingdom of God is actually here. And again, what does actually happen? For those of us who know the story, John does die a horrible death in prison. Jesus is wrongfully accused. He suffers. He dies a horrible death on the cross. Some would say that's about a failure of all failures. But it wasn't a failure. Early in the book, that's the plan. That was always the plan. That was the plan, not a failure. Jesus knew 
Jesus knew God's commitment to a broken and suffering and dying world was so great that he wouldn't allow sin and death to get the last word. If you look at the Old Testament, I love where we're studying our Bible blueprint class. My son and I are teaching this class, and it is so much fun to watch people's eyes and to see as we dive in where you see story after story from the beginning of Genesis all the way through all the different things of the Genesis, through Exodus, Leviticus, on and on and on. Jesus, God loves them. They rebel. They turn away. They turn their backs on God, but then they come back, and he accepts them with open arms. They rebel, they come back, he accepts them with open arms. He is true and faithful to the covenant over and over and over and over, and it's still happening. It's happening for us. He loves you. Jesus' death and resurrection created a whole new hope for us, a true hope. So my big question, the one I've been wrestling with for weeks now, is why? Why did Jesus do that? Lots of different scriptures I could point to. John 15, verse 13 says this. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friend. Greater love has no one than to lay down their life for a friend. God absolutely loves you. He is committed to you. He is pursuing you. So remember my question that we've got on the shelf. Why should you, why should I follow Jesus? Even though there's no guarantees when we do so that life is going to be just grand all the time. I'll say it for a third time. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friend. He loves you. He willingly laid down his life for you. Kevin's given me a book that I've been reading, and it's about shepherds and sheep, and it's like one of the most amazing books I have ever read in my life. And it's broken into multiple chapters, but one of the chapters talks about the willingness of a lamb to be slaughtered. When it's time for that to happen, the author of the book had the opportunity to literally, because he just wanted to go through the, through the experience, where literally, as they lay the lamb down on its side, it lays there willingly until he cuts its throat. Now, I'm not trying to be graphic, but that's the picture of what Jesus has done for you. He willingly went to the cross. And yep, there's going to be moments as being followers of Jesus where we're going to have unbelievable joy, unbelievable surprises. Life is going to be awesome. But there are going to be moments where it's painful and life hurts. Reminder, Jesus didn't get John out of prison either. So some of the things that life presents to each of us, we just get to have Jesus walk alongside us. He's going to go through the fire, through the waters with us. That Isaiah verse doesn't say he's going to help us get around it. He's going to help us avoid it. He's going to be there as we go through it. 
That's the beauty. That's the beauty of trusting somebody that loves you. So this morning, my greatest hope was I want to invite each one of us. You can't do this in just a few moments on a Sunday morning. But I'm going to ask a question. Who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? As we celebrate Advent, as we look forward to a time of Jesus' birth and all that that brings, we talk often from this platform about how when we come together to worship on a Sunday morning, it's to realign us to who Jesus is, to what he's done, how much he loves you. That's why you keep hearing from almost everyone that speaks in one way, shape, or form, friends, it cannot just happen in one hour on a Sunday morning. You need to just, it's like a waterfall. You just need to have the love of Jesus just pour over you constantly through his word, through fellowship, through just all sorts of different ways and avenues. But today I want us just to take a moment as we sing our last songs, whatever that's going to look like, as Kevin has been repeatedly sharing with us, I want you to think about Jesus delights in you. You are deeply, deeply loved. You know, it's an interesting thing. This morning, <clears throat> the good Lord woke me at 3 a.m., And the question was, how can I get across to you? This, this, this is just the way a brain works at 3 a.m. sometimes when you're going to preach. How can you love somebody that you don't really know, that you can't feel? The closest thing I can tell you, I just met a new grandson this week. The minute I saw him, nope, that's not true. The minute our daughter and son-in-law shared that they were having this, I loved him. It's possible to love somebody without really knowing them. But boy, the more you get to know them, the more that love grows. And that's, that's what I'm trying to, in human terms, that's what I want to encourage each of us. Some of us are sitting here thinking, you don't know, Brian. You don't know what I've done, what I've said, what I haven't done, what I haven't said. One more time. From a wonderful passage in Romans, condensed version for those who are in Christ Jesus there is no condemnation amen to that he has some amazing love for us the light of the world the creator the sustainer of the entire universe laid down his life I'm going to invite the worship team to come on back up he laid down his life for you. That's what I want us to sit in. That's what, to me, Advent is all about. Because when you realize that, oh, what a celebration Christmas Eve and Christmas will be. That's what makes all the Christmas carols make sense. I'm going to invite you to pray with me now. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we pray right now, please help us. Open our eyes to see you for who you are. 
Reveal your glory. Reveal your majesty. Give each person in this room, each person that's watching, a fresh encounter with you. Holy Spirit, I pray right now in this moment and moving forward that you will set our hearts on fire for you. I pray these things in your precious name. Amen.